Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell, the managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and you are listening to episode 33 of Off the Course, the podcast where golf course superintendents and other turf pros talk about just about anything other than their job. My guest today is Don Bloom. He's the supervisor of park and golf course at Durand Eastman Park in Rochester, New York, where he and his team maintain whew, 10 miles of mark trails, an arboretum, picnic shelters, and pretty cool here, as you might expect, an 18-hole golf course where Donald Ross and later Robert Trent Jones Sr. both worked. Don is also an avid ultra runner, recently finishing his first 100K race with plans to run his first 100-miler as early as next year. His love for the outdoors goes back to childhood when he started fishing. He still keeps a rod and a reel with him pretty much all the time. And hiking up in the Adirondacks and the Catskills. We met Don last year, not long after he submitted a wings recipe for our first Turf Heads Guide to Grilling. And we visited him and the team at Durand Eastman for a fun and delicious cookout in the spring. If you want us to visit you and your team for a cookout next year, there's still just a little time to submit a recipe for our second annual Turf Heads Guide to Grilling. You can send it by November 28th to either Editor-in-Chief Guy Cipriano at G-C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O at G-I-E.net, or you can send it to me, Matt Lowell, at M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E.net. We'd love to get your recipe in the magazine, and we'd love to grill out for you in 2023. Before you submit a recipe, though, and before you hear from Don Bloom, a quick word from the sponsor of Off the Course, Aqua Aid Solutions. Excalibur is the most famous fictional sword, immortalized in Arthurian legend and, of course, sheathed in stone. Excalibur is also the new next-generation rapid-response soil surfactant from Aqua Aid Solutions. Excalibur delivers rapid infiltration and consistent dry-down, and it helps your turf achieve both consistent hydration and superior rehydration. All you need is 4 ounces for every 1,000 square feet for your initial application early in the growing season, and then either an ounce and a half to 2 ounces every 12 to 14 days, or 3 to 4 ounces every 28 to 30 days. And you also need at least an eighth of an inch of water to deliver Excalibur to the soil profile, maybe in the form of rain, maybe in the form of irrigation. For best results, use Excalibur over a full season program. For more information about Excalibur, you can check out Aqua Aid Solutions at www.aquaaidsolutions.com. That's A-Q-U-A-A-I-D-S-O-L-U-T-I. ONS.com. You can also find them on Twitter at Solutions for Turf. That's Solutions, the number four turf. Don Bloom, after the break. Don, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Off the Course. Right before we pressed record, we were talking about, don't want to call it snowpocalypse, but western New York, I don't think, has ever had more snow in a recorded 24-hour period. How have you been doing? I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think uh, Orchard Park was 77 inches yesterday morning, and I heard they 
we're going to get more yesterday. Like 77. That's that's as tall as like an NBA small forward. Taller than Josh Allen. Yeah, yeah, who who got the win the other day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You were saying during the winter which is a good thing here that you do a lot more indoor work than outdoor work. What's your winter look like there at Durant Eastman? Uh yeah, so we we have um obviously all the equipment to go over. We have a very small staff in the winter. And we have a large, it's a 180-person lodge that we house, you know, house weddings. And um, it, it's a, it's a, an opportunity for me to, as I get older, work inside more in the winter than outside. Because like we said, uh, I don't know if I'll ever move south because I don't like the heat. But I do love Rochester, so this is a good opportunity to work inside in the winter. How many weddings did you have this season? The, we have a tent that goes up out back, and that's when it gets really busy. So I, from June until uh, just last week when we pulled the tent down with the snow coming in, it was booked out every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Wow. So, I mean, our our staff splits in the morning on the weekend, and uh, we have a few people that have to come in and flip the wedding facility and then a few people that have to get the park cleaned up on top of getting the golf course ready for day-to-day play. And it's a busy golf course. It's, um, you know, in July, weekdays are busiest days. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'll do 300 rounds a day. So almost 100 weddings over the course of the season, an average of 300 rounds a day at peak season. How do you even do this? Like when we when we saw you earlier this year, your team is a good size, but it's not like you've got this enormous team helping you out. No, it, 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 I was just, it, was, it was eye-opening for me to go back to basics. and uh, My boss kind of taught me what I really need to do and what I don't need to do, and we do as much as we can with what we have to work with, and we've produced pretty good quality considering what we work with, and um, most of the guys... A lot of guys I have are retired. They just come in to shoot the shit and mow some grass in the morning and go home. Um, the ones I do have that are full-time, you know, they they work for less than what they're worth, obviously, this day and age, and they have more of a passion for the park itself than I think the actual job. So, Love it. We met you and we met a lot of your crew earlier this year in the spring when we went up for really the, the winning recipe cookout for turf heads grilling um remind folks if they did not see your recipe in the december 2021 turf heads guide to grilling what was your favorite recipe what did you what did you send in that wound up in the booklet well i wanted to do something we have a lot of good recipes here but i wanted to have something that was kind of represents our area we're in chicken wing country (laughs) um so i submitted the recipe that we have for chicken wings and um now that we have a smoker the last couple years have been a game changer they taste way better in the smoker than they do in the oven so it's uh um baking powder garlic powder mix the baking powder is what takes the moisture out of the wing before you grill it and then just a traditional kind of a buffalo sauce well it is a buffalo sauce frank's red hot butter brown sugar I think some people switch the brown sugar out for honey, but well, that's kind of what a buffalo 
Well, we call them wings. Everyone else calls them buffalo wings. Yeah, it's just you're in technically Rochester, but the Buffalo area. There's no. It seems yeah. redundant to say buffalo wings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with garbage plates. We just call them plates. <laughs> For folks listening who do not know what a garbage plate is, what is a garbage plate? Um, it's mac salad, fries or home fries. Burger, a hot dog, cheeseburger, and then some uh, meat sauce on top. Everything's all in the same mixed together. Yeah, it's all Nick like Tahoe's. Nick Tahoe's is the long-standing uh, spot in Rochester, but Nick has trained a few people. Uh, Jimmy Z's out in Brockport has a really good plate, but I got my hands on the the meat sauce recipe a few years ago, and we do a big batch of it and keep it in the freezer and. When my kid comes home from school, bring some friends over and we make plates. Now you mentioned macaroni salad, uh, is it home fries, hamburger, hot dog, the meat sauce. What are some variations that you put in your, your garbage plate or on your garbage plate, I guess? I don't, I mean, you can do ketchup, mustard, onions, uh, but we have white hots up here. Yeah. Our popular is Weigel's makes white hots. Um, those are good. But and that was um, that was another thing when we bought our smoker we we made garbage huh? yeah we're making garbage plates and we made burgers and they don't taste the same on the smoker so we I talked my wife into letting me buy a new grill so I got a new smoker and a new grill all in the same week. <laughs> it's a good week. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man! Now the great irony, the the funniest part I think about you getting not only a recipe in the first Turf Head's Guide to Grilling, the second one coming up here in the December 2022 issue, is that your brother works professionally in the food industry. He is he is a chef, and he's never actually had a published recipe. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. He's uh, He went to Pittsburgh Culinary Arts. He's a trained chef. He more or less is a salesman nowadays, but uh, just last weekend, um, one of his clients had him go into their hunting camp, and he cooked for all these dudes all weekend long. He said it was a riot, but yeah, he's, uh, we'll just say he had a, a what-the-f moment. I gave him an autographed copy of the Turf Head Grilling Cookbook, <laughs> and um, he got pissed. He said, he said, you know, uh, you went to school to grow grass, and you got published in a cookbook, and I went to culinary school, worked with some great chefs, and never had a recipe published. I suppose he's a friend of the industry if he wanted to send in something for the 2022 guide or 2023. <laughs> uh, who knows? He'll probably try to charge you. <laughs> and what's his name? Brian. Brian. But, yeah, I, I lean on him for a lot of cooking advice, so as much as we give each other crap, we... Uh, we collaborate a lot. We we grew up eating good food, and I guess once you go to college and you, you eat crap, you try to figure out how to make good food again. I think I know the answer to this question, but if you swapped jobs uh, and, and if you took more of a, a chef job than his current sales position, who would last longer, you in the food industry or him working on turf? Oh, he, he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to grow grass. There's no way. <laughs> So when we talked earlier this year, you mentioned that nutrition and food are big, big parts of your life. It's not just wings and garbage plates and white hots and, and all these you know extravagant Buffalo Rochester foods. It's, it's special days, but you, you eat pretty healthy. You have to. What's your daily menu look like? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to eat garbage plates every day, but I wouldn't last very long. We have, you know, we have our family history, so we've learned how to make good, healthy food. Um, I don't eat a lot during the day. Um, you know, maybe a, a energy bar, a stinger, and a peanut butter and jelly, but I cook every night. Um, it's unpredictable what we make every night. It depends on what we have going on. I mean, everyone has kids and after-school functions, and so we kind of brainstorm um, Thursdays and Fridays, and we shop once a week just to have multiple options. And I have the luxury that my house is about two minutes from a Wegmans and 10 minutes from two different butcher shops, so everything is kind of right at the end of my fingers if I need something else. Um, but we, we've taken advantage of the, the big smokes on the trigger to have leftovers. Um, you know, we vacuum seal and freeze everything. Um, you know, a leftover meatloaf or chicken with a salad is an easy weekday meal. But we still grill three or four days a week. Are you a are you a meal prepper? I know you plan out, you know, five days, six days out of the week. You shop once a week. Are you are you putting stuff together in advance, or is it kind of that daily grill when you get home from the course? We always have two or three that are prepped. I would say throughout the week, whether it's marinating something the night before, knowing what we're going to have the next day. But I think we fly by the seat of our pants four or five days a week. Um, we don't eat out much. Um, I like cooking. What's been your favorite new recipe that you've done this year? Either something that you read or something that you came up with on your own, but just anything that you've you've done for the first time in 2022. Uh, well, it finally panned out a couple weeks ago. I've been messing around with that um, poor man's burnt ends for about a year and a half. I just couldn't figure it out, and then. It all came down to talking to my brother about a cut, the cut of meat, and the last time I made it, it finally turned out right. But I can't even tell you how many times I threw this stuff out. What did Brian help you with on that? So I was using a chuck steak, or chuck roast, I'm sorry, and um, he told me to get some choice cut and look for a lot more marbling on the inside than fat on the outside of it. So talked to one of the local butchers about it, and... It made a huge difference. I mean, and the other part of it was Brian told me just cook it longer. Cook it way longer than you're cooking it. <laughs> so I should change the, my recipe to Don and Brian's recipe. The Bloom Brothers. The Bloom yeah, Brothers present. Yeah. How much do you rely on, on Brian, or, or was it much more when you were younger uh, that you kind of relied on his expertise? Well, when we were growing up, we were best friends, and then I went to turf school, and he went to culinary school, so... When we met back up, it was always um, in the kitchen cooking a meal for whoever was going to be around. So he cooked at first, and then I got involved and realized that it wasn't as hard as I thought it was. So, yeah, we're, we get together and not so much anymore because we got busier lives now and kids. So, sure. But when we do, it's we're always in the kitchen. That's awesome. One more food question. And it's because you are so active, obviously, out on the course every day, but so many outdoor activities. Uh, you are a trail runner. You've run 100K. You're training for a 100-miler. You keep a fishing pole with you basically at all times. And we'll get into all this. But suffice to say, you're very, very active. Uh, how do you refuel after runs and fishing and, 
and coursework. You mentioned stingers and PB&J and all that, but is there is there specific stuff that you eat to refuel and recharge after working out? I found out that it's more your overall fitness comes from what you ate yesterday and the few days before. Um, it took me a long time to figure that out. Uh, one part of it was on my really long runs, my stomach would go south and I wouldn't be able to eat anything, but that was only because I was consuming a bunch of sugar and calories that my body wasn't used to. So relative to fitness, I've learned that you have to have a, a full tank to be productive at work and during physical activity. So we try to maintain the same diet week to week. You know, if there's a big race coming up, I might increase simple carbs, not necessarily pasta. My wife always jokes that after a race, it seems like you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. But I tell her if it's a long race, like Twisted Branch was, I didn't have any alcohol for the three weeks before that. I think that was the hardest part of the whole race. (laughs) Uh, Twisted Branch is the 100K, which officially 62 miles. But, you know, with backtracking and trails and all this stuff, you probably did run closer to 64 or 65. Uh, When was that? How did did you do? um, They had to get the the last hill in there on us and put the thing over 64 miles. But, yeah, it was a a hell of an adventure. It's been like a three-year journey. I think 2019, my daughter and I volunteered for it just to see what it was about, and I knew I wanted to try it. November 2019, I signed up for it. Um, They didn't have it in 2020, obviously. They deferred us all if we wanted to to 2021. So I, I tried it in 2021. I made it to mile 40 checkpoint at 11 hours and 35 minutes, um, which was five minutes too late to be allowed to continue because they have checkpoints and aid stations every five miles. And I learned a lot then, so I signed back up for it this year and I gave it my best. I'm trying to do the math in my head. What does that work out to? Is that a 16-hour cutoff for the 100K? Um, No, the... It, it used to be 18. They've increased it to 20 hours total. Okay. Um, my my goal going into it was to finish in 19 hours because you get a lottery ticket for another race in California. But the day before, the forecast was to be in the 90s. So I had a, I had a crew of five, and we talked about just trying to finish. It helped me get it done. I couldn't have got it done by myself. Now, where is the Twisted Branch? Is that nearby, or is that somewhere else completely? Yeah, it's um, it's only about twenty minutes away. It's um, it's part of the Bristol Hills branch of the Finger Lakes Trail. There's a trail that runs from Buffalo all over all the way over to Cortland. Um, it starts out about twenty minutes, no, about an hour from here, and then ends down at the south end of Cuca Lake. Um, it's a point-to-point foot race. Has Obviously, said checkpoints and cutoff times every five miles, and food tents. I mean, they have the best food. I think um, I had bacon and pierogies and salt potatoes and quesadillas and you name it. But it got hot around mile forty-five. I mean, I got hot around mile forty-five. I don't know what time it was. I had my stomach shut down. It's never happened to me before. And um, I had to try to figure out, I guess that's why I like these longer distance, because you always have a problem, and getting through the problem is kind of cool. So 
for the rest of the race from 45 to 64, I relied on water, electrolytes, Coca-Cola, pickle juice. Yeah. I, I pounded two 32-ounce jars of pickle juice. I love Brian. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, Don. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, uh, it was a tough day. It was hot. I, but at the end, you're, you say, oh, I'll never do that again. And then, you know, the next day, I'm on ultra sign-up looking for the next, next race to sign up for. Before we go to what's next, you mentioned that you and your daughter volunteered in 2019. How did you even get into that? Was that you? Was that her? Was it just... I had heard about the race kind of when I started running long distances in 2017. And I had a friend that finished it. And he said, you should volunteer just to check it out. Uh, my daughter's, she got into the running scene when she was a freshman in high school. So she knows all the people that I run with and my dad runs with. And it's a, it's a pretty cool community of people. So her and I went down in 2019 and, and volunteered at, um, it's the Bud Valley Campground Aid Station. It was like a giant party, just a tent and refueling water bottles and I think I cutting up watermelons somebody was cooking quesadillas and from there you said i got to be a part of this and so you signed up and obviously the pandemic delayed it but you know before you knew yep. it you were running in the event too yeah and and these long ones i seem to fail at the first time so i have to go back and do it the second time now what what were you running before that because uh, you mentioned your, your dad runs your daughter started running in high school i'm guessing cross country and track uh, have you always been a runner no, um, I mean obviously, younger I played high school sports. Um, bicycles were always I raced bikes, and I always had a mountain bike. But I was a smoker, heavy smoker. Um, I quit smoking in 2010, gained a bunch of weight. Um, so I started road running, generally increasing miles until uh, shin splints and knee issues started. And then a friend of mine got me back into mountain biking. So I just kind of kept going from there. But my dad said, hey, why don't you come out and run some trails with us? So he introduced me to trail running, his friends and their friends, the whole racing scene. And I, I think it was around 2014, 2015, I was running half marathon trail distances. By 2017, was marathons and ultra marathons. And Twisted Branch was your first 100K? Yes. Yeah. So. so and it's, uh, I, I think I just want to try to see if I can go farther. Well, that's what you said uh, when we were trading some emails beforehand was you're training for a 100-mile trail race. What's what's next? What is that race? Have you picked that out? Um, I wouldn't say I'm training for it yet because I realized last year that uh, June and July is not the ideal time in this industry. I mean, obviously, uh, spring is a tough time for all of us in the industry to train for these, these events. It, I had to get creative and run at night or uh, take a mid midweek morning run. And definitely having training partners helped out. Uh, but there were some days I just had to admit that work kicked my ass and I needed to get after the training tomorrow. Um, and then things go wrong. I had to pull the hamstring, moving a picnic table in the park, and had to take a few weeks off. Um, so I, I think I'm going to wait until October. Uh, there's, a, there's a race in Massachusetts, 100-miler in October, I kind of had my eye on. 
but we'll just see how it goes. I mean, I think week to week, as long as I can keep a 20-mile-a-week base and get some mountain biking in and get one day in the basement. I hate the basement workouts, but they've made a huge difference over the last year. Even with my day-to-day work stuff, um, being more flexible has really helped out with physical activity. But I think I think uh, October 7th is the Mid-State Massive Ultra. I think if everything goes well, I'll sign up for that one. So a little more than, what, 10 months? 11? About 10 yeah. and a half months. Yeah. Uh, what are yeah. the basement workouts? Is that treadmill work? Or is that core or, or something else completely different? It's all core stuff. All, all with just body weight, um, pull-up bars. I do have a kettlebell, but um, a few years back, I ended up injured. My daughter had been training with a, a trainer and some of her friends, and I saw him, and he taught me a few things that I could do, and it, it got me physically back to where I could run long distances again. So last year I disciplined myself to go in the basement at least once a week, and I hate doing it, but, man, it makes a huge difference. And it's just 20 minutes, nothing, nothing fancy. I know when you're working outside for – you know, six, eight, ten, twelve hours a day, even twenty minutes can sound like a lot. But when you break it down, twenty minutes in the basement and then you know, you're you're obviously running a lot more than twenty, but when your base is twenty miles, it, it seems pretty doable for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I love mountain biking, uh, but to get the same workout on a mountain bike it's two hours. So a half hour of trail running after work and I have the luxury of being great in a park that has trails, so I bring clothes to work and change and run right after work. I mean, I can remember a few years ago before I was fit, I'd bend over to pick a shovel up and I'd throw my back out for a week, you know? When you're building up from 20 miles and you're getting closer to the big races, how many miles a week are you running and what are your long runs? Because those, those are the ones that are really, really hard to fit into your schedule, I imagine. Yeah, especially in... June and July with our industry. Um, I, this year, I made sure to take one day off at least every week, and then the other one day semi off was the uh, core workout. But um, leading up to Twisted Branch, I had um, eleven day. I had an eleven day block, and that's, I've, I've tried to break things into blocks nowadays because you know you got a. a Fourth of July week, you're going to be way too busy at work. It kind of slows down a little bit after the Fourth of July, so I kind of created a block there, and I had uh, just over a hundred miles in in ten days. Um, long runs, one long run would be twenty twenty five miles, um, and then like Sundays would do a split run. Uh, if I came in and mowed greens and got the golf course ready, I'd do a seven or eight mile run, and then you know, later on that day after after dinner, I'd go out and do an eight-mile run before bed. So all told, how many hours are you working out at, like, the, the peak right before you start tapering for a race? Too many. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, too many. I mean, and life, life things happen, so you have to back off. Um, I just happen to... July just happened to be a really good month for training for me, and and I knew I could toe the line, and I got the race done. So I'm hoping this coming year that 
at the end of August and September can be really good training months, and I can be ready to start the line of a 100-miler in October. There are some other long-distance trail running superintendents and turf pros around the country. Some of them have been on this podcast. Have you have you talked with any of them, or are you just kind of going, going solo? Uh, I have not. I don't know. I mean, I know of um, one of the guys that I went to college with, Pat Van Vlax, uh, in Massachusetts, and he just ran Chicago. Did really well. I know there are a couple other ones in the industry I I follow a couple of them on Twitter, but I haven't reached out to any of them. Maybe in 2023, maybe when you uh, when you attack the hundred miler. Yeah, yeah, it's always good to have. I mean, I the, I have a we have a really cool local scene, supportive people. Um, you know, social media with these clubs, they throw something out. I think next Saturday there's an 18 miler planned. Um, so it's always good to have others to motivate you, but. As far as self-motivation goes, I always have to have something on the calendar. You know, right now I'm kind of in that base mileage mode and just trying to enjoy. Training can be fun, believe it or not. Um, I'm trying to enjoy the training. And then I signed up for uh, a breakneck 42K. I don't think it's quite a marathon. May 6th. Um, last year I didn't have anything on the calendar for the spring, and I gained 10 pounds in the winter. Um, so I think having something on the calendar motivates to keep the training. That's another thing is you mentioned that a while back you, and this is before you really started getting into to building up mileage and training, that you bent over for, was it a rake or a shovel, you threw out your back for a week. Um, mm-hmm. What else has training helped you do physically or, or keeping you mentally focused on the job? My family has you know, heart problems and bliss, uh, you know, blood pressure problems. I've, I've been able to stay off blood pressure medicine. There's obesity in the family. I've, I've been able to keep my weight. I'm not skinny by any means, but um, just being able to get up and move every day. Now, I will say that after a 50-mile week, it's hard to get out of bed when you're <laughs> getting up at 4 in the morning to come in here, but just day-to-day health and, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it seemed... Like, it was impossible for me back in 2014 to run a 5K. Now, I don't think anything seems impossible. I don't think I'll ever go over the 100-mile distance, but who knows. But just day-to-day, I mean, yeah, those those little um, tweaking an elbow here or hurting the back there, those days are gone. You say now you'll never go over 100 miles, but finish a 100-miler and... and... We'll reconvene. Yeah, but I gotta finish it first. I don't know if that's gonna be possible. Well, maybe you'll run it uh, next year and not finish it, but you'll finish it in 2024, like you you tend to do. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that could be too. You also mentioned that you almost always keep a fishing rod with you. Is is fishing the perfect complement to running? Just because it's so different, you're able to kind of sit there and relax and focus and you're you're mentally very very demanding uh i would think but not physically as much yeah i mean i've always said you got to give yourself a little time every day for yourself it helps helps you keep your head straight and i've always carried a fishing pole in my car and it seems like non-running days i'll stop somewhere on the way home and um 
you know, even if it's just for 10 minutes to wet a line. But when we're on some of these long trail runs, we pass some ponds here and there, and I'm like, oh, man, I wonder if I can fish in there. So <laughs> we find some of the best fishing holes when we're on the long runs. You know, the biathlon, the Olympic biathlon, is cross-country skiing and precision riflery. Maybe yep. another biathlon could be uh, long-distance trail running and fishing. Maybe you could start this sport. That would be pretty cool. Two completely different things. Yeah, absolutely. You also grew up hiking the Adirondacks. Beautiful mountain range. Uh, pretty approachable, all things considered. Not as not as big as the uh, peaks out west. Still really high. Um, what are some of your favorite hikes that you've taken in the Adirondacks over the years? Yeah, uh, I'd love to get out west. I have not been out west to hike the big ones, but I have not done all of... I mean, there's a... There's a lot of people that go after all 46 of the Adirondack high peaks. Not, I'm just not interested in it right now. There's there's too many good peaks in the Adirondacks and the Catskills that I'd rather go back to um, a few times in my lifetime than trying to just bag all the peaks that are the 46ers. But uh, I think my favorite ones are the spontaneous ones where Haley says, Dad, let's go climb and fish for a day. Uh, last July... July, yeah, Fourth of July weekend, which is a really busy climbing week in the Adirondacks. It's so hard to find a spot. Mm-hmm. Haley had a day off before work was starting, so we went up and just climbed Ampersand Mountain, which is a, it's not a high peak; it's a smaller one, but it had really good views. Um, and then we fished the Upper Saranac River, uh, pretty much up to Paul Smith, and drove back home. Those are my—I think those are my favorite ones, the spontaneous ones. You've done, what, three this year, you said? Yeah, yeah, three of them this year. I try to get up twice a year. This year, the third one was just because everyone was posting on social media in the fall how beautiful it was. So I went up there in October. The plan was to climb Giant Mountain and Rocky Point. The forecast wasn't great. I ended up sleeping in the truck at the base of the mountain overnight. It was raining, so I knew it was snowing on the top. But I chose Giant because Giant is one of the ones like uh, the Brothers Mountains that have like their false summits. So as you're going up it, they have beautiful views. Kind of from what I hear, that's what most everything is out west. That's the probably the only complaint I'll ever say about the Adirondacks is once you get on a trail, you're socked in with trees and can't see anything until you get to the top. But Giant has false summits, so all the way up, I got really good views. Beautiful fall color. And then we got about uh, half a mile from the summit, and the clouds were just socked in, and there was snow on top. So I could have gone over to Rocky Point, but I would have been, I don't know, maybe I'm getting soft in my old age. I didn't have my micro spikes, and it was a little bit icy. Either soft or smart in my old age, one of the two. I went back down and um, fished part of the Ostable River from uh, a white face down into Placid and then drove home after that. But the other one I did, the Great Range is probably my favorite part of the Adirondacks. It's uh, in the middle. It's 10 summits. Eight eight of the peaks are all over 4,000 feet. Um, and it's, it's tough climbing. But I've done all individually. I've done them all like a loop one day, another loop another day. But I've never done them all in the same push it's 26 miles um i think it's 
I don't know how many feet it is, but I, I tried it in the fall. That was stupid because I didn't have enough daylight. No, I, I got in. I got in and, and started at sunrise, just before sunrise. Saw a moose. That was cool. I had a moose cross right in front of me. That is cool. I made it up Marcy in good time. I got down Marcy, made it up Haystack, and then I sat down and tried figuring out the daylight. And I would have had to do the two Wolf Jaw Mountains and Rooster Comb in the dark. I was by myself, so that would have been stupid to do. So I just went back the way I came in. And it was a, it was just a month after Twisted, Van, Twisted Branch, so I think I, physically I was still a little spent. You say, are you getting soft or are you getting smart? And not hiking in the dark seems like a very, very smart thing to do. Maybe not something you would have tried in your 20s. You would have kept going, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, and... Uh, you know, the, the beginning of Twisted Branch, my headlamp wasn't working. I fell twice. I almost bagged the thing in the first six miles. But I just, I I don't know if I'm, yeah, I'm getting older, and I guess i got to start. Who knows how long this running thing will last. So I, I got the fishing and the mountain climbing. But, yeah, don't do stupid things. I mean, I they just had another guy die up in the Adirondacks a few oh. weeks ago. Uh, just he wasn't dressed right. A lot of uh, a lot of important safety. Hike with lights. Hike with appropriate clothes and footwear. Bring plenty of water. All sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I can remember as a kid we would go in with, you know, just a, a shower curtain and a, a water filter, and somehow we'd make it out the next day. <laughs> Things that you would not do today. No, no. no. Well, Don, great to finally catch up with you. Before I let you go, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to plug or promote? No, I don't think so. I think thanks for having me on, Matt. I appreciate it. And the the, the crew really loved having you all here. It was a great feast. We ate well. Oh, cookbooks. I read a lot of cookbooks. Okay. Um, there's a series of um, five books. They're called the, the Thug's Kitchen Books. Eat Like You Give a Fuck. Okay. And then... Um, the other one my wife just bought, Amy Mona's, uh, Feeding the Frasers. I think her husband's like an, uh, an endurance athlete, and she has a lot of protein-based diets that I've figured out that as the day before races, the best thing to have is chicken and potatoes. Potatoes are like a superfood. Baked potatoes, sweet potato, russets, any, anything, any potato? Oh, uh, any potato. Oh, okay. The, the, we usually, if we're cooking chicken on a grill, we'll... We'll just slice a potato and throw it on there with some olive oil and salt. That's it. Sounds good. Yeah. But, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Don Bloom, a two-time contributor to the Turfhead's Guide to Grilling Cookbook, long-distance trail runner, lifelong fisherman, and hiker. Don, thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one. My thanks again to Don Bloom for going off the course. My thanks to Aquade Solutions for sponsoring off the course. And my thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. Beyond the Page, Greens with Envy, Off the Course, and Tartan Talks drop on Tuesdays. Real Turf Text with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of the month. And Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of the month. Our November issue is online now. It includes great stories about a turf pro who moved across an ocean in pursuit of her career dream, about what you need to know about maintenance facilities, and 
lots, lots more. You can check it out online at www.golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine. If you subscribe, you'll be getting the physical issue in your mailbox before too much longer. And you can always read more industry news and notes online in our fast and firm email newsletter. It's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. You can sign up at www.golfcourseindustry.com. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists are, I think, the best. Terry Buchan, Henry DeLosier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morrigan, and Matthew Wharton. We have a crew of fantastic regular contributors. Tyler Bloom, Trent Bouts, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Cassidy Gladio, Trent Manning, Judd Spicer, John Torciello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Russ Warner and Jimmy Clark handle sales. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Caitlin Sellers makes sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Amanda Cafardi has been spectacular on the back end. She handles so, so much. Irene Sweeney does more than anybody here can keep straight. Ryan Jacobs, Cody Minnick, Tom Bauman, Brock Andorada, and Patrick Briand are our IT team. Our president is Chris Foster, and above... Everybody else, we could not do what we do without all of you. Thank you so much for listening, and a very happy Thanksgiving.